Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome on my guest, the editor and chief of Shell Magazine, Robert Rapier. Robert, welcome back to In the Oil Patch radio show. Thanks, Kim. Uh, well, it's kind of strange to bring you back on because for most of our listeners, they're aware that um, you have involvement in the radio show. You kind of step in and, and host the show through the holidays when I need to take some time off. And you recently accepted a position uh, with Ian Media Group, Energy Network Media Group, to be the editor-in-chief of Shell Magazine and basically um, really bring the whole entire media group up to a higher set of journalistic standards. Uh, but that being said, before uh, we get into what is your vision and your goal and how are you going to accomplish that, and there's a lot more I want to talk about of things that are trending in the show too, I want to first introduce you to our listeners who may or may not know who you are. Now, Robert, you have over 30 years as a chemical engineer. You're very experienced in the oil and gas industry. You And some of that experience includes chemicals, oil, gas, renewables, um, as well as oil, refining, synthetic oils, biomass, uh, to energy, alcohol production. You also have multiple newsletters for Investment Daily. You're an author of a book called Power Place. You've appeared on 60 Minutes, the History Channel, CNBC, Business News Network, CBC, PBS, and you've also written for many major media outlets to include the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, Christian Science Monitor, The Economist, and you're a senior contributor with Forbes. Plus, you are the new editor and chief of uh, Ian Media Group Shell Magazine. My question is, when do you sleep? Well, I, uh, you know, so, so I talked to this, uh, so somebody asked me the other day, kind of a similar question, and I said, uh, you know, my brain is always firing. I wake up in the morning and I have my coffee and I start writing immediately. You know, I, I sometimes I, I think about something in the middle of the night. I hop up in the morning and I get my thoughts down. I start writing and I I sometimes write during the day. And then, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing sometimes till late in the night. And, you know, I take some breaks during the day. But um, I write very, very quickly. Um, you know, sometimes I go from an idea to having a published Forbes article in an hour um, I, I've got a good friend and, and sometimes he will take a month to write an article. And he, he asked me, he said, I don't know how you do it. He said, I take a month to write an article. And he said, you write, you know, in that time, you might write 15 articles. Mm -hmm. And, um, I said, I, I, I don't know. I write very, very fast articles, but I said, the difference is, you know, you take a month to write an article that might be able to go into science and, and you, but you, you're taking a very, very deep, thorough approach. And I'm trying to write articles for, you know, the average person that the average person can read and understand. And you're trying to take an approach that, uh, uh, you know, is is a peer reviewed sort of really deep intellectual article for, you know, 5% of the population. And I think it's the thought process that you have to deal with when you're trying to write. A lot of people have writer's block. I'm not a fan of writing either, so I completely understand what he's saying. But thank God we have people like you 
I've been asked that several times too. How does he get so much done? And then you're still tempting to go out on the circuit and talk. I think you have an upcoming event, uh, The Money Show, that you'll be talking at in the fall, but it's a lot of work. And maybe it's probably that an engineer in itself is just oriented, you're process oriented. And so maybe that's part of what a lot of us don't have is we tend to just tend to think a lot, uh, but not the way you do. So maybe it's something in the engineering logical part. I'll give you an example. This morning, I got up this morning. I've had my coffee. I've had to run some errands. You asked me to write an article. You asked me to write a preface for the next, um, for the the upcoming issue of of Shell Magazine. And as I was running my errands, I wrote that article in my head. And I thought about what I wanted to say. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to introduce myself to readers. I'm going to talk about a little bit about working around the world and seeing how different countries see the oil and gas industry versus how Americans see the oil and gas industry. And, and just the stark contrast, um, you know, I thought about a lot of what I want to say in that article. And now I can convert that into a written article very quickly because it took form in my head as I was doing other things, as I was multitasking this morning. So I got a lot done while I was doing other things. And that's how I can get a lot done quickly. Well, we should take notes of that. That just doesn't quite happen. But occasionally I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I grab my cell phone and I take notes and then I'll like email it to me because by the morning it's forgotten. But so speaking of that note you were talking about, that is what is in every issue of Shell Magazine. And it was prior to you coming aboard February 15th, a publisher's note. Um, And now... Um, the roles are changing, and now it will go for the first time in 12 years in the history of Shell Magazine that it has an editor-in-chief. And this will be your ability to talk to our readers, the readers of who follow the magazine, the blog, the website, and, of course, the show. So that being said, I, I want to give you an opportunity. One of the things that you agreed to do that we were so happy to have you was to really put some guidelines down on the type of content that we are going to accept and why. And, and I think it goes back to, for me, there's so much media that tends to lean one way or another. And I think we've truly gotten away from the roots of real journalism, which is fair and balanced. And um, opinion pieces seem to rule the day. If it bleeds, it leads pretty much is how media companies are now uh, engaging in their readers. And um, some are for completely getting rid of oil and gas and some are, we need oil and gas. We want to try to be somewhere in the middle. So tell me your vision of, uh, for the editorial department that you're building, the type of content that you're seeking for potential writers who might want to be published uh, on either the blogs or the magazine um, and how important is it for you to be focused on this vision? What's the vision first? So the vision is to provide factual um, information that is documented with reliable sources. Now, reliable sources is a loaded term. Um, I mean sources from uh, government agencies, from uh, agencies that have a history of providing good information. And uh, good information to me is um, the Energy Information Administration 
It is the International Energy Agency. It is, um, you know, the Associated Press. It is NPR. It is the BBC. It is, it is historically uh, news agencies that are in the center. Uh, you know, when you're looking at uh, uh, media outlets, you know, some lean left, some lean right, and it's okay sometimes to report some that lean left, lean right. There are some that historically are way to the left, way to the right. Uh, we want to avoid those, especially those that you think, you know, may have partisan agendas. Um, I, I'll give you an example of what I want to avoid. <clears throat> oil, oil is good and oil is bad. Um, oil, you know, modern society runs on oil. And if you want to tell the story of oil um, and all you did was talk about oil's good things, you'd present a very misleading picture. Mm -hmm. And if all we did was talk about oil's bad things that, you know, there's oil spills and, and you know, it's uh, carbon dioxide emissions are going up and all these things, then all you've done is presented a bad picture. And media outlets that do that, that only present one picture or another, they're presenting a very misleading picture. And what I like to do is try to present the entire picture. And, um, you know, when you do that, you make people mad. Um, you know, I tell people, here's the entire truth. And if you tell the entire truth, uh, environmentalists get mad when you talk about the good things that oil has done. And uh, pro-oil people get mad when you talk about the negative environmental um, aspects of oil. And my my objective is always to try to tell, you know, I'm not trying to tell both sides. I'm trying to tell the complete story. Um, I'm trying to tell the full picture so everybody can understand, okay, this is this is the entirety of the story. And it's not necessarily both sides. It's just this is the complete picture, the complete unbiased picture. This is this is everything. And that word was the most important that you said, unbiased and fact checked. And I think that you know, you coming on board and being committed to that, putting it in writing. So potential writers who want to be published understand that maybe in the past, um, because our roots started in oil and gas and we wanted to give information on oil and gas. I don't think we're no, I don't think we are any longer able to do that because there's such a, a transition occurring in the energy sector. And there's a lot of stories to, to tell. So, you know, it needs to be a fair and balanced approach. Because I think that when when we look at it, all these forms of energy are necessary for the future. And we have to keep trying to evolve and lowering our carbon footprint at the same time because of climate change. But I think it can be done in a fair and balanced way. But I also believe that the time of of people, it, the, the conversations have gotten so mean-spirited and so uh, derogatory. I, I, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of letting people read good content that's fair and balanced, fact-checked, and let them make the decisions on where they think the piece is going and what they basically got out of it instead of somebody telling them what they should be thinking. And if you're not in their opinion, you must be dumb or stupid. It's just gotten really out of hand. So I think that, you know, the fact that we're 
putting these in, uh, controls in place are going to be important. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to get back on the topic of the editorial department, and then I want to move into the LNG pause, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the Democrat Party and, and their perception in the oil and gas industry, and a few other things. But we got to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group is your pipeline to discounts, dividends, and industry expertise. It's a value-added benefit from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, the state's leading workers' comp provider. At Texas Mutual, they know the oil and gas industry, which means you'll have access to expert resources and information that make your business better. As a safety group member, you'll also save about 12% on your workers' comp premium, and that's just the beginning. While Texas Mutual policyholders can earn an annual dividend for keeping their workers safe, safety group members can get something even better, a second dividend. That's up to two dividends every year. Plus, you'll get service-focused coverage from Texas Mutual, a workers' comp partner you know and trust. The Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group is tailor-made for your business. Talk to your agent or learn more at TexasMutual.com slash T-X-O-G-A. Dividends are based on performance and not guaranteed. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is the editor-in-chief of Shell Magazine, uh, a division of Energy Network Media Group. Robert, before the break, you are recently took the position as editor-in-chief, and now you've gone to work rolling up your sleeves, putting some policies in place on what the editorial department guidelines are, the vision. But there's so much more that we need to unpack in your vision and how you really want to represent the content that's being placed on the blogs, in the magazine, and out for our readers. So let's get into a little bit more of that. What's your real vision of how this will uh, start taking shape and form? Right. So I don't want people to misunderstand. I don't think every single article has to present, um, you know, both sides of an issue. Uh, I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, you know, here's how oil has benefited humanity without having to present, uh, you know, half an article of and this is how you know oil has hurt humanity. I think it's perfectly acceptable to have an article devoted to one side of an issue. So don't misunderstand there. Um, but in the grand scheme, in the big picture, we will talk about other sides of that issue. Um, you know, if you're talking about the history of ExxonMobil, that is a very rich history. And ExxonMobil has has just done extraordinary things throughout their history. But the Exxon Valdez is part of that history. And you wouldn't cover that up if you were talking about the history of ExxonMobil. And if you were, you know, a, a just a pro-pro ExxonMobil uh, outlet, you might cover that up, but we we won't do that. We'll cover that, and we'll cover it honestly. And and you know, if we're interviewing an oil company, we will ask tough questions as necessary, and and you know, they'll be fair questions. We won't ambush uh, a company. We'll ask tough, fair questions, and I've done that throughout my career. Um, you know, when I've interviewed companies, um, I've asked them tough questions and and you know, fair questions, um, not. Uh, Never, uh, never ambush. And sometimes if I think a question is going to be, um, you know, particularly difficult, I'll warn them ahead of time. I said, look, I'm, I'm going to ask you about this. And, and if you want to back out of the interview, that's OK. Uh, but I, I'm going to ask about this. People want to know and, and I'm going to ask you about it. And so I think that is uh, I think that's fair. And so that's that's the deal. We're, I, I don't want to be 
a propaganda outlet for the oil and gas industry. At the same time, I think the oil and gas industry has been very unfair, very unfairly um, characterized in the United States. And uh, that's one point that I'm going to make in the article that I'm writing. When you look at how the industry is looked at in other countries, you you wouldn't believe it. I mean, in the Netherlands, Shell, you know, when I was working in the Netherlands, Shell is looked at with pride. And in B, and BP in the in the UK before Deepwater Horizon, they were looked at with pride. I mean, this is you know that's their national oil company over there. And then you know we look at Chevron and Exxon Mobil with disdain. It's just amazing the differences. Um, and so um, you know I, I I think they've been unfair unfairly maligned, and I I I think they haven't gotten a fair shake. And so maybe that is part of the path is to try to represent, like you said, both sides and telling that fair and balanced story. And I keep saying that, but it's just because I think that when people start really thinking about how oil affects them, and maybe the reason why these other countries have a more favorable look on the energy sector is because they really understand how it benefits them and how their life is so comfortable with it. And we at the United States don't understand that. Um, if we, if our AT&T cell phone should go out, and this is not anything pertaining to the oil and gas industry, people were annoyed. They couldn't get on with their life. Um, work was disrupted. I mean, there was probably a million and one things that ha- happened that was really bad to someone because their phone was out for four hours. Well, I'd like to tell the other picture or the other side of the story of you ought to think about what happens if you don't have access to good old oil and gas. You don't have anything else either. And you don't have those byproducts. And that's not promoting the oil and gas industry. That's just me feeling like this is a complicated topic. And I think that I see the energy industry trying to meet the demands of climate change and the world. But I don't think that it does anybody any good to beat them up publicly shame them when at the same time you're using their products. If you're going to do that, then don't use the products. That's all I'm saying. And and I think that, you know, with the stories as they're starting to roll out and how they'll, they will roll out, I think it'll become more apparent how we are just here to talk about energy as a whole. Let's switch gears and talk about on January 26th, President Biden, uh, the administration announced a temporary pause uh, on pending decisions on exporting liquefied natural gas, better known as LNG, to non-FDA countries until the Department of Energy can update the underlying analysis for authorization for LNG exports. Your opinion on this? Was it a mistake? How does this play out? How much longer will this continue the ban? And what will be the effect? I know you have some thoughts on this. Yes. Um, this is one of those issues that, uh, depending on who is presenting it, is not presenting the full picture here. Um, <clears throat> I've wrote an article for Forbes and I've talked about this in some depth. A lot of people don't know this, over the past 15 years, the country with the largest decrease in carbon emissions in the world is surprisingly the United States. And the reason for that is there's been a massive uh, change in power plants switching over from coal to natural gas. and. What LNG could do for the world is what natural gas did in the United States. LNG could enable countries like China and Indonesia and and India, places that use a lot of coal in power plants, to switch over to natural gas. And by pausing those LNG exports, 
You know, natural gas is a is a much much it 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 emits less than half the carbon dioxide that coal does, and so to the extent that natural gas can displace coal, we could significantly lower carbon emissions. And so that's the side of the story that people advocating these bans don't tell you. Now, what they right? Well, and these are and these are these environmentalist groups that poten- potentially could have a reason for not wanting to do that. But but Robert, I'm going to take a quick break, real quick. I'm sorry, I'm up from a hard break. Let's come back and talk about LNG after the break. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we are back. You're listening to a Noel Patrick show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, who is the editor-in-chief of Shell Magazine. Robert, before the break, let me just recap here that on January 26th, the Biden administration announced a temporary pause on a pending decision on exporting liquefied natural gas, better known as LNG. And it has been on a pause to allow the department of energy to update their analysis for authorization on the economic uh, and environmental impact these exporting uh, facilities could have. And you were discussing about the importance of LNG and how it can really um, help us in, in the discussion and the talks and trying to consider climate change. So continue on. Okay, so as I was saying, to the extent LNG is replacing coal, it could actually uh, decrease carbon emissions. Now, the the part that the environmentalists advocating for these bans will tell you is, but uh, LNG, you know, natural gas, is a fossil fuel, and it is contributing to carbon emissions. That's true. And they will tell you that um, natural gas leaks as it's being produced, and it is a more powerful greenhouse gas gas than carbon dioxide. That is also true. Um, But... They won't tell you that um, um, it's displacing coal, and and coal is a very powerful uh, is is the worst greenhouse gas around the world. Uh, ca- causes more greenhouse gas emissions than any other uh, fossil fuel. So that's the part they will not tell you. So they're they're only telling you part of the story. They will tell you that it's worse than coal because of the of the methane leaks. Um, most studies do not show that. Most studies show that uh, the methane leaks are actually quite low and that it is not worse than coal. Um, but they'll only tell you part of the, part of the story. Um, now, what is the truth? The truth is somewhere in between. Um, LNG is probably, you know, displacing some coal. And, and in some places, 
you know, the reality is if it's not displacing coal, if LNG is just being used to expand fossil fuel consumption around the world, okay, the, um, the people advocating for a pause may have some points. Um, if all we're doing is expanding fossil fuel infrastructure, then they have some points. And then, uh, you know, we need to think about that. But to the extent that they are able to, uh, you know, the most important thing we can do in the world is, as far as carbon emissions, is to get Southeast Asia off of coal. I mean, there is nothing more important that we can do. There is nothing the United States can do that can affect global carbon emissions. Like, I mean, I mean, really, the United States could fall off the face of the earth. Our carbon emissions could go to zero, and it will not make a blip compared to what's going on in Southeast Asia. And our carbon emissions have been pretty stable. If you go back 50 years, our carbon emissions haven't changed a lot. They have decreased quite a bit in the last 15 years. But if you go back all the way 50 years, they're not a lot different than they were 50 years ago. But Southeast Asia's have increased dramatically. And that's because they've ramped up their coal consumption considerably. And what we need to do um, you know, yes, they're ramping up their renewables like crazy, but they're ramping up their coal consumption, they're ramping up natural gas consumption. They need to be using everything at their disposal to get their coal consumption down. And that needs to be everything. That needs to be natural gas, nuclear, renewables, everything they can to get their coal consumption down. And that will make a difference on global uh, CO2 emissions. Let's uh, bring it back home on that topic, though. So, if this continues on much longer, which I have no clue if it does or it doesn't, what is the unintended consequences that are going to happen to us, the consumers, with these projects not being built? Summertime's around the corner. Uh, we're going to use more fuel consumption, driving, on vacations and things. Does this have an impact on us as well? Well, so that's the other part of the argument. The other part of the argument is that it may decrease, price, decrease natural gas prices for consumers in the United States. <laughs> Because if suddenly you shut the door on exports, now you've got a, a captive market. And so uh, it hurts. Now, it hurts gas uh, producers in the United States, natural gas producers. And ultimately, in the long run, that hurts that industry because they will not uh, continue to ramp up production. Because, I mean, natural gas prices right now are, are bad, bad. Yeah, um, yeah. They're really low. And mm -hmm. while that is good for uh consumers in the long run, that is not good for the industry. Um, you know, they can't survive long periods with, with natural gas below $2. Um, and that's, I think that's where it is right now is below $2. Uh, well, it's also you know, though, it's also though hurting us if the LNG uh, facilities are put on hold and we are supposed to be helping our allies, uh, you know, the Ukraine-Russia war and other uh, countries that we are providing LNG you know, too, um, doesn't that open up a market for other countries that we probably don't want them, such as Russia or maybe other countries? It, it, it just it's a it's a complicated topic. And if you squeeze on one side, you have an unintended consequence on another. The balloon increases on the other side and it's just going back and forth between should we or should we not? But I just kind of think if we are we were leading in many ways, providing the world their LNG and it is a better fuel than coal. I mean, it's complicated, but I think we should be looking at it. And I hope that the pause doesn't go on. Let's uh, take a quick break. When we return, I want to switch gears and talk about the state of our U.S. shell production here. What's going on here and get your opinion on that. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. 
And we're back. You're listening to a Noel Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, who is the editor-in-chief of Shell Magazine. He's my guest today. Robert, before the break, we were talking about the Biden administration's pause on the LNG exporting, uh, the uh, pause on new facilities. And I went into break saying, if these other countries step up, they don't have the regulatory agencies that the United States does to produce this. And so I wanted to give you a final comment on how do you see the world is looking at us? And is this really in in, in the name of in uh, climate change and looking at it? What are your thoughts on the administration, why they're doing this? Right. So, I mean, the administration is doing it to appease the left wing of the, um, you know, of, of the voters. I mean, that's why they're doing it. They're doing it to energize um, and this this pause doesn't affect anything for a number of years. I mean, the, the and, and ultimately, you know, if a different administration comes in, they can undo the pause. It doesn't really affect anything for, for a long time. And so it may never affect anything. Um, and ultimately, if there is a market, somebody else will do it. And I, I've always said, you know, if there's a market, it, we should be doing it in the U.S. because we do it with better environmental regulations, better uh, worker safety protections. Um, you know, other countries may do it and they may flare more, they may leak more, they may uh, injure and kill more workers. Um, you know, we we protect our workers better than other countries do, and we protect the environment better than other countries do. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a fact. And, um, you know, to the extent that there is a market for LNG, you know, and you know, we've got right now, Europe uh, would be in a lot worse shape right now with uh, the situation in Ukraine if it wasn't for the U.S. supplying them LNG. And we've been able to step up because, uh, um, you know, we were in the position to do that. Um, the the, the uh, market has developed because of fracking and because, uh, you know, the terminals were built. We were able to step up and, and help out. And, uh, you know, had that not been the case, uh Putin and Russia would have been in a much stronger position. And now we put a pause on it, but embedded in their information on the pause that they had a carve out that if need be, we would still be supplying LNG to our allies. But if there's less on the market, you are not producing, you know, um, let's switch gears and talk about the current state of shell production. What uh, do you feel? We're seeing a lot of uh, mergers, acquisitions, a lot of them, which is normal considering what's going on. But with inflation and but what is the current state of the shell production? How strong is it and what do you see uh, for it, you know, through the summer? So over the last year, I just looked at the numbers. We are still uh, at record levels for shale or for for uh, for overall oil production. Uh, we're right at thirteen point three million barrels a day. A year ago, we were at twelve point three. So we're we're right at record levels. I don't see that going a lot higher for the rest of the year. Rig um, <clears throat> count is down over the last year. Uh, you know, we might. Edge a little bit higher than we than we are right now. Now I do see us setting a new production record this year, simply because we're starting the year at at, at a record level. So even if we decline a little bit from here, unless we decline a lot, we're probably going to set an annual production record this year. So you know if we another one on top of the one we just set. Yes, uh, because last year we started the year at 12.3. So we started a million barrels a day lower than we are right now. 
and we gradually increased. So, you know, we could gradually decrease for the rest of the year and still have a good shot at setting a production a, a production record. But if we hold steady here and and if we held steady for a couple of months and then gradually decreased, we'd still set a production record this year. Um, if we increase a little bit, we probably will set a production record. Uh, if we hold steady, we definitely will. The only way we won't set a production record is if production starts to fall pretty sharply between now and the end of the year. So uh, one of my January predictions um, that I made last month was we would set a new production record this year. I think that's a pretty safe bet uh, simply because we have started the year so much higher than we started um, uh, 2023. I, I, I think we're, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot left here. I, I don't I don't see us going a whole lot higher than this. But uh, I mean, this has surprised me before. I, if you told me 20 years ago that we'd be where we are right now, I would have thought you were crazy. And, and a lot of people would have thought you were crazy. So what does it mean when they say, you know, you said you don't see us going any higher? Is this that peak moment where you're saying, OK, now we're at that peak that everybody keeps asking, when do we peak? Yes. Yeah. I it, we we could be close. I, I hear people say that a lot. I hear people, you know, authorities saying that a lot that, yeah, we're, you know, um, production will peak. I've heard it. I've heard people in, you know, authoritative people, you know, people who should know say, you know, I've, I hear, you know, oil companies saying, yeah, we'll probably peak before the end of the decade. Um, you know, that says, you know, maybe things can go a little bit higher over the next couple of years. But I don't hear anybody saying, you know, we're going to get to 15, 15 and a half, 16 million barrels. I, I, I haven't. Maybe somebody has said it. I haven't heard anybody say that. Very interesting. Well, Robert, when we return from break, you recently wrote an article in Forbes discussing the strategic petroleum reserve. Now, we talk a lot on the show about this because, you know, there's different opinions on is the Biden administration, um, the Trump administration, you know, what they were using the strategic petroleum reserve for. Is it being politicized? Well, of course it is. Um, we're coming up in crazy season again to where we're going to have another election cycle and we're going to see a lot of crazy things happening. But the street, Strategic Petroleum Reserve was made a lot of media attention last year from some of the things that the Biden administration did with that reserve. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group is your pipeline to discounts, dividends, and industry expertise. It's a value-added benefit from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, the state's leading workers' comp provider. At Texas Mutual, they know the oil and gas industry, which means you'll have access to expert resources and information that make your business better. As a safety group member, you'll also save about 12% on your workers' comp premium, and that's just the beginning. While Texas Mutual policyholders can earn an annual dividend for keeping their workers safe, safety group members can get something even better, a second dividend. That's up to two dividends every year. Plus, you'll get service-focused coverage from Texas Mutual, a workers' comp partner you know and trust. The Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group is tailor-made for your business. Talk to your agent or learn more at TexasMutual.com slash T-X-O-G-A. Dividends are based on performance and not guaranteed. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. 
we understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. And we're back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is the editor-in-chief of Shell Magazine, Robert Rapier. Robert, um, before the break, we were discussing the what appears to be the historical hostility between Democrats and the oil and gas industry. And, you know, the sad thing is we are getting ready to go into uh, our presidential election. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm getting a lot of anxiety thinking, here come all the negative ads. We should we start preparing for riots in the streets again. And it just I hate this time of the year. It's it's just so the, the everybody is just so crazy with how they are looking at their candidates. <laughs> it's really mind boggling. Uh but I want to talk about electric vehicles because they've been in the news a lot, too. Um, and there's obviously supporters of uh, electric vehicles. And then there are the non-supporters. Um, for me, what I see is that there seems to be a snag in the way of there's the sales are down for them. Uh, Ford has made some announcements that they are uh, reducing their Ford Lightning, which is their electric vehicle. There seems to be some movement and not in a positive way for the electric vehicle market. What have they hit the snag? Yeah, I first I'll make a comment on the, the politics thing you said. I, I It's a funny thing because um, I've, I've noted before I can sit down. I can sit down and have a beer with a guy and, and you know, perfectly nice person and if the topic turns to politics or religion, suddenly a person who seems perfectly normal and nice can turn into something. <laughs> a dragon. <laughs> very ugly, you know, when the topic turns to politics or religion. So, um, you know, it's one reason I tend to avoid topics like that in, uh, uh, you know, public forums. I, in, in, you know, I, I won't talk about a topic like that. I won't talk about topics. I won't politicize. One reason I will not politicize anything um, you know, I, I will criticize Biden for his strategic petroleum reserve uh, decisions, but I don't consider that a politicized thing. I'm not criticizing him because he's a Democrat. If Trump made that decision, I would criticize him exactly the same. So that is not a politicized decision. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's it's not a team sport there for me. I'm not criticizing on the basis of politics. So um, that's I just want to drive that point home. But I agree with you at this time of year. I almost can't turn on the TV. I watch a little CNBC in the morning and then I can't watch any I can't watch any news because it just makes me sick. And once the political ads start, I just I can't watch them. But, uh, yeah, electric vehicles, um, you know, the projections were that, um, you know, electric vehicles, we're all going to be driving electric vehicles in a few years. And I kept saying those projections are not realistic. I gave a talk in Utah, um, I, probably 2000. Uh, well, it was before COVID. So it must have been about 2019. And they asked me, they said, uh, you know, how soon before we're all driving electric vehicles? And I said, 
you know, I walked through the parking lot and it was snowing and all the four wheel drives out there. I said, you guys aren't going to be driving electric vehicles. I mean, 10 years from now, there's, there's not going to be electric vehicles out there. You guys are, this is not the kind of place where there's going to be electric vehicles. It's just not going to happen. Um, and I said, the electric vehicles are going to happen in, in niche areas where there's very high population density and they're not driving really long distances. And, and so far that's what's happened. And all these huge, huge growth projections have suddenly started to get downgraded. And, um, What's happened this year, started to happen last year, is um, a lot of the enormous growth projections got downgraded and a lot of companies started to get hammered. And that happened with Hertz last year. Hertz yes. started to get their margins uh, eroded because they had these real huge projections on electric vehicles and they had a profit, um, a hit to their third quarter profits. And now they're selling off some of their electric vehicles and replacing them with gasoline powered vehicles. And then um, earlier this month, electric vehicle manufacturer Rivian reported pretty good results, but then they had a profit warning for the rest of the year. They had real soft guidance and um, the, the shares got hammered hard. And I'm just looking at year to date. Tesla seems to be somewhat immune. They're still down, but they're not down nearly as much as some of the others. Uh, year to date, Rivian, the automaker Rivian is down 46%. Tesla's down 19% year to date, um, but all of the major electric vehicle manufacturers have gotten hit pretty hard as it becomes, you know, more um, that people realize they're not going to be growing as fast as people thought they were. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's there's range anxiety. There's the chargers just aren't out there in as many places as uh, as they need to be. And it takes longer to charge. I mean, you stop and you fill up a gasoline car in five minutes. You can't do that with a charger. Um, it's just not as convenient yet. Um, you know, somebody like me, I'm not I'm not considering an electric vehicle. I mean, I, there's a lot of people like me. I would not consider an electric vehicle yet. Um, and, and there are many, many people that just aren't considering an electric vehicle yet. It's not on the horizon, on the horizon. They're not affordable. That's why they're not on the horizon. Yeah, they're also, they're, yeah, that's also, they're very expensive still. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, the government has been subsidizing them quite heavily, and the car manufacturers are still losing a lot of money on them. So, you know, while I believe in the long, long run, there, there'll be a very, I mean, probably most Americans eventually way down the line will be driving electric vehicles. We're, we're still a ways from that. I agree with you. You know, I did a show not too long ago. I don't remember who the guest was, but we were discussing um, the Inflation Reduction Act and how much money was put in there. And one specific uh, section that I remember in the show was uh, the discussion that Ford was losing about almost $30,000 an electric vehicle. But with the Inflation Reduction Act, there was a lot more money, billions put in there. So they continued the production line and, and it kind of appears as though we'll try to make it last one more time and take this pot of money and see if we can make something with the EVs and see if we can, you know, mass manufacture them. But then I think what they found is that but if the consumers don't want to buy what you're offering and maybe because it's just not affordable or people are not used to sitting around and waiting for however long it takes to charge that vehicle as opposed to driving up to the gas pump and takes you three minutes, five minutes to fill up and you're gone. Um, it's just, there's a lot of issues that I think are still hanging out there for the consumer. The batteries to replace them are not cheap. Um, the time, what happens if you run out of a charge? <laughs> there's like a lot of things in my mind that say, I'm not think. I don't think I'm ready for an electric vehicle either, Robert. Um, 
it's the bumps in the road. But for the most part, I think that um, we're seeing that there's definitely a snag when we're talking about electric vehicles. So we're coming to the end of the show. And uh, again, thank you for coming on, talking to us about your new role at, at Shell Magazine. And for our listeners, you know, I hope that they will reach out to you, welcome you. Uh, if they have any ideas, maybe um, you, you talk to the, I'll give you a few minutes, or a minute or two to talk to the listeners that, you know, turn them into your readers. Where do they find you at? How do they reach you? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm a lot of different places. I'm, you know, I'm writing for Forbes. I'll be writing some for Shale magazine. I'll be, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, we'll be putting out articles that cover the industry, all different aspects of the industry and, and, you know, not just shale, but, uh, you know, we'll be covering all the entire energy sector. Um, you know, you can find me on Investing Daily talking about um, energy investments and utilities and, you know, different things like that. So I wear a lot of different hats. So, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me and, you know, we take guest submissions and they're, you know, as long as they meet the editorial guidelines, we, uh, you know, we'd be interested in uh, in hearing from you. You know, I think also if the listeners want to reach you through Shell Magazine, they're more than welcome to uh, email you at editor at shellmag.com. Story ideas, potential stories, and just getting involved and getting engaged of what you they want to hear from you and from the magazine to continue to build our readership. But Robert, that's all the time that we have for this show. Thank you for joining us. And I look forward to when you're going to be carrying your own show here on the station and doing your own interviews. But that's all the time we have. Thank you for being a guest on the show. All right. Thanks, Kim. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.